I'm David Clayton, and this is the Way of Beauty podcast, conversations on Catholic faith and culture. I'm here with Paul Jernberg. This is episode 40 of the Way of Beauty podcast, and this is the seventh uh, conversation I've had with Paul, and we're going to discuss this week uh, the, the contrast between the ideal and the real, uh, how we put these things into practice in the parishes, that they, all the things we've been discussing about sacred music. So, Paul, great to see you again. Good to see you, David. Why, why don't you just uh, summarise where what we've done so far, if you can do that in six six talks in a minute and a half. <laughs> and then we can go on and uh, think about how we actually deal with this in practice. Right. So we started out by talking about what sacred music is, and um, and then we talked a lot about what the the vision of sacred music is that the church presents to us, and which we have as an inheritance from our traditions. And we've talked a lot about the ideal as far as what what that should mean in our our parishes and our communities. Um, and we've talked a little bit too about how to implement that. But I'd like to go a little bit farther with that idea of implementation today, because I think for a lot of people, when they hear about this ideal and they compare it to the real in their in their situ particular situation, they might think it's just crazy. There's no way that I could go from from where I'm at or from what, where we're at to this ideal. So that's what uh, I'd like to speak about at length today is just looking at very real situations that people find themselves in and see how to move forward towards this, uh, towards the vision of renewal that we're given by the church. Great. Uh, it, this is important because in the end, it, it's, it doesn't matter how great the ideals are. If we can't go from where we, if the gap is too great, what's the point? Um, and we can right. despair, I think. So. Exactly. Yeah. So um, I'd like to start out by talking that emphasizing the need for the ideal, first of all, just uh, sort of recapping some of the things we've talked about, because just as a navigator needs to know his destination, if you're going, you're going to sail across the ocean, you need to know very clearly where you're, you're planning to land. Uh, in a similar way, if we do not have that strong sense of the ideal, and if we don't cultivate that and think about it and pray about it and, and work on these uh, these principles will be lost at sea, mm. and, and um, we need to we need to chart a course and we need to refer to our destination and our charted course along the way in order to have hope to arrive. Um, now and and also we so what is this what is this destination? Well, we've been talking about the different principles. It's it's a destination that is this, this full, authentic renewal of sacred music in our parishes and our communities. And it's based on principles, sound first principles. And some of these we've talked about, we talked about holiness, beauty, and universality. This was Pius X who expounded on this in his, uh, his teaching in the early 20th century, and how that is, is, is very fundamental to our whole thinking about sacred music. We've talked about organic continuity with our traditions, that musicians, church musicians and priests, they need to be connected. They need 
to have some kind of fo strong formation in our great traditions of sacred music. We've talked about the centrality of the sacred text of the liturgy, that uh, sacred music is primarily about clothing this text rather than creating new uh, sets of songs and lyrics. Or it's really, and the fact that that, that sacred text is essentially a gift that we received from Christ and developed by the church. We've talked about the primacy of the, the human voice because as sacred music is primarily about singing the sacred text, then clearly our uh, human voice is, uh, is really at the heart of everything we do, not excluding instruments and the, the skillful use of instruments, of course, but that we, we need to always get back to this, the primacy of the human voice. And we've talked also about the need for resonance. And that means that when we sit, when we choose and, and sing and perform, you might say, sacred music in the context of the liturgy, it's very important that what we do as church musicians has the capacity to truly resonate in the hearts and minds of those who are listening, those who are who are worshiping. And if we don't have that resonance, we're, we're, we're not connecting and we need to connect with people. So these, these are some of the first principles and uh, we can contrast these with what, what often is, what seems to often be another set of first principles on the part of pastors and music directors, which are often oriented towards you might say pleasing the most people possible and avoiding conflict with the most people possible. If we take that, if we can't go beyond, now that's not bad, of course, it's good to please people. But if we, if we get those that confused with these other more essential principles, we will ultimately be lost and we, 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 will, um, we will not find our way forward. So again, it's not wrong to please people, but we, we really need to be rooted in these others that I mentioned. I, I, if I, could, I don't want to knock you off your track, but I think this is true. This is not just true in music. This is true in regard to pretty much every aspect of the faith yeah. that can communicate. We want to present it in the best way possible, in the, in the, in the way that is going to um, actually touch people's hearts but not at the expense of what is fundamental to it. Uh, right. The goal is not simply to attract people. The goal is yeah. to attract people to the faith. And, and, and if you undermine the faith in the process, then that, it doesn't matter how many connections you make, it's not working. Right. That's, that's right, David. And, and I would say not only to attract them to the faith, which, I mean, what I'm going to say is maybe essentially the same thing, but in the context of the liturgy, to really to draw them into the mystery of the liturgy. Yes. Which is, which is um, at the heart of the faith, you might say. The, 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 the act of loving God, the, this privileged moment of entering into this loving uh, adoration of God and communion with him is, is really essential to the liturgy. So anyway, Again, I'm talking again about the ideal, which which we absolutely need to keep uh, in our in our sights. However, having established that firmly, 
if it could it, it can be very dangerous you might say even fatal in the life of a parish if a pastor or music director uh, in order to pursue this ideal doesn't exercise prudence and patience well and just as a navigator needs to deal wisely with all the conditions and obstacles that come along the way so do priests and music, church musicians need to exercise this kind of wisdom as they go forward that means that we absolutely need to take into account the present reality of a given parish and and to to see it realistically to know it well and then to prayerfully decide with all our powers of discernment spiritual and human how we can move forward step by step in the right direction towards our goal um and another thing is that when uh now just a couple examples so let's say that um we've talked about the propers of the mass as well as the ordinary generally the ordinary of the mass is sung or spoken every match you go to rather rarely the propers of the mass are, are spoken or sung. And they're sometimes spoken, but often not sung, most often not sung. If let's say someone becomes very enthusiastic about introducing the propers in the mass, but let's say they don't really have the singers to, to pull it off, or let's say the setting they use is not particularly inspiring or, or engaging, or that, um, and, and let's say they do that without the proper foundation. Well, they might be doing something that is hypothetically correct, but which in a particular situation at a particular moment actually is counterproductive. Mm. And it might even, it might even push people away from the whole idea if it's not well done. I, I'm reminded here, I, I, this may be something that others have heard, but I, I heard this first from, Father Frank Phillips at St. John Camchus. Yes. <clears throat> um, now he knows about how to turn a parish around in any world. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, now, and what he said in the talk that I heard him give was that um, he, first of all, didn't change anything for a year. So, I mean, that's, he's speaking as the priest, not yeah. a choir director. So it's, that, that might be a different thing. Um, but, um, the point that he made with regard to changes, he said, don't change anything unless you can either do without it altogether or um, you're, unless you're going to replace it with something better. Yes. In other words, and, and what, what he seemed to be saying is, first of all, pick your, pick your battles yeah. and um, go for the soft spots first. And, yeah. and, and um, there are some things that really are worth fighting over and really are worth losing a few people for. Yes. But you choose the, the, those things carefully. Um, That's right. Uh, you, and you have to weigh up the importance of it. And of course, what, what I understand from what you're saying is that the importance of it is, it's not just the ideal that we have in our mind, but it, it's the practicality of the right. Produces as well. Um, exactly, it has to be weighed up. E exactly. I, I, 
And I think that St. John Cantius is an, is an amazing example of just this very step-by-step -step approach, which seems almost to musician, church musician who really is enthused about the renewal of sacred music, it might even seem so painfully patient <laughs> that almost, you know, incomprehensible you know, to hear how they went so slowly, but it was very effective in the long run. And I, I don't, um, I have not been exposed uh, firsthand. I was there once to one of their masses long ago, but I've heard very, very good things about the program. It's very impressive and inspiring. Yeah, it reminded me when I walked in. That, so they have, it's, uh, this is a church for, for people who are listening in Chicago. And uh, so it's a story, not just of the music, but the whole, this, of everything really. Right, <laughs> so, right. and, and, and I, I, I'm doing my best, <coughs> excuse me, to remember the details, but so I'm making mistakes of people who know about this, then yeah. uh, I apologize. But from what I understand, he arrived, um 30 years ago perhaps more and this was a huge sort of empty basilica with the rain coming in <coughs> and a congregation at the, one of the, the first masses he celebrated of i don't know about 40 aged poles i think um <laughs> polish americans and um then within 20 years uh they had 1500 families registered at this church and everything was focused on the present the presentation of the beautiful liturgy of beautiful music and the orthodoxy yes. uh fully acknowledging vatican ii so they have the extraordinary form and the ordinary form mm -hmm. similar uh similar spirit um an authentic uh, spirit of the liturgy i would say um and uh, it's, yes, and when I went in there, it reminded me in the feeling of it of the Brompton Oratory. So I first went in, mm -hmm. I'm going to say, about a dozen years ago, something like that. Um, and it, the, the canons regular, the, the, that's the order that, that he, of priests mm -hmm. he has there. So there might be, I don't know, a dozen priests there or something like that mm -hmm. as well. Um, they're wandering around in black cassocks. There's this, you, know, you can smell the incense from the last mass sort of lingering on. Mm -hmm. Lots of candles around, there's beautiful art. There's, even the floors are, are set out in geometric patterns. He's thought very carefully about this as an integrated whole. Um, so, yeah. Great. And you, uh, you mentioned that putting together both the ordinary form and extraordinary form there at St. John Cantius. And we need to come back to that later because a lot of the things we're talking about are applicable not only in the ordinary form, we're talking mainly about the ordinary form right now, but actually a lot of the things we're talking about can be and need to be applied to uh, those who are celebrating the extraordinary form as well. <laughs> we'll need to leave that for a little bit later. Because <laughs> that sort of has a whole different set of, of parameters and needs. Yes. But yeah, this, it's, so it's, well, I promise to come back to that at a later point, Good. but not right now. <laughs> so, you know, and I think another thing to keep in mind too, you, there's several parishes that I'm aware of that seem to be success stories, but which do not incorporate a lot of the principles we talked about. Right. So that's a, that's a, a set of challenges in itself. 
and I'm going to talk about those in a moment too. Um, so what I'd like to do now, David, is, is to look at uh, three or four actual examples of parish situations. Okay. And, and these are all parishes that I know about. I'm not going to say exactly where they are or what the name is, uh, but they, I think that each one of these presents very interesting challenges. Okay. Let's go right on. Let's go straight on to those now, I think. We've Good. I'm just to cover those. We, so that's great. Let's, yeah, let's talk about yeah. these. And this is, I personally, I thrive on this kind of thing. I mean, it's, it's, I think this is where the rubber hits the road, so to speak, as far as lo looking at, you know, the most challenging situations and saying, how in the world can renewal take place? <laughs> and of course, we know that you need to have the pastor who leads, who, who is on board. That's a given. Uh, but we're going to assume right now that the pastor is on board and yeah. we're going to trust that he is. And then uh, later on, we'll talk also, we'll talk about what do you do when the pastor's not really um, open. We can talk about that as well. But right now we're going to assume that he is and that he's got real integrity and is really pursuing his, uh, his vocation as a priest very well. So, the first situation I'd like to talk about is the parish I know about in the, in the southern United States. And uh, this is a rather ama amazing place. Uh, it's a very large uh, retirement community nearby. But there, each weekend, there, there are many thousands of people that come to Mass at this parish. They have, um, they're, it, it seems like they are really thriving in an amazing way in that they have people coming to weekend masses, to, to daily masses. Uh, the, the income they get from their offering each week is staggering. They exceed their budgetary needs on a regular basis. And so they're able to grow. They're able to do all sorts of things. However, the music that they have, the primary kind of music they have is what we might call praise and worship. And the people seem to really love it. They, um, a friend of mine described it in this way that it's, um, it, the music is very similar. If you, if you, I don't know if you're familiar with Joel Osteen. He's a televangelist. Uh, vaguely, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. I, I'm not very familiar with his work. I've seen him, you know, from time to time, little snippets here and there, yeah. but it's, he's a, uh, his program, on his program, they have very, um, engaging music that you might call praise and worship and, and everybody's involved with it. So that's the kind of music that they, that they really emphasize in this parish. So my, my friend asked me, well, what do you, what do you say to people like that? <laughs> it's, it's working really well. They're making, they, they've got more money than they know what to do with. And so that's the first parish I want to talk about when we come back to it there. But just to keep that in mind. Okay. Thriving, money-making, people are happy, uh, very engaging praise and worship music. What do we say about that? Where, you know, where are they? Where are they going? What would I recommend? What, what would the pastor do to go forward if, if he thinks there's a need? Or, well, if, if we see a need for renewal there, do we see their need? And if so, where do we go? 
I, I'm going to I'm going to suggest you, Paul. Why don't you go on and do that now? And I know you've got about four of these to do, but you've you've so intrigued my intrigued me. I want to hear the answer. I don't want to wait. So let's do them one by one. And if we have to cut off and then wait till next week for the for three and four, that that'll be fine. Because okay. the only problem the only problem with that, David, is that I I have a whole set of principles. Ah. <laughs> that apply to all of them. So, so the things actually, what I'm going to do is to, to, to present a whole group of things that everybody can do. And then that they need to be, of course, they need to be uh, fine tuned to each pair of situation. Um, so, here's what I suggest go yeah. through the principles and then we'll deal with the particulars one by one or okay. else. Okay, that sounds great. This one example, which is just uh, okay, that sounds great, right? The general principles through this one example, right? Whichever you think might be the most easiest yes. to do. Okay, so so here's my so just say to say parenthetically first that whenever you have what seems to be a successful situation in terms of people being uh, inspired, happy, growing. We have to be very careful to build on success and to replace, if we're going to replace something, we need to do so that's being, that's going to be able to be perceived as a, a step in the right direction and forward, rather than, than simply a taking away. Okay. If we, if we simply start pruning as if we're going to get rid of all the bad things, and if we okay. don't have positive things that can you might say you can compete and even overcome the other then you're going to be in a predicament yeah. uh, now the, but there are certain things the things i'm going to list now are i would propose i would assert that all these things are not only necessary but they're they're fundamental and that without these things i'm going to list we're we're somewhat doomed okay and i've got about seven of them. Here. Okay, go through them. So, one so I, I, I'm going to make a note, and we'll come back to the other. Sure. Yeah. And and so and and I'm thinking about this this particular parish right now. I'm thinking about all these different parishes, but we we will come back to okay. this, uh, this thriving parish in a moment because okay. So the first thing is uh, to cultivate the proper dispositions among the priests, among the church musicians, and the laity. Now, you might say, well, these people already have good dispositions, and that might, in which case, great. I'm not pointing the finger at anybody or saying they don't have the proper dispositions, but I'm saying this is something that, as a general rule, everybody needs to grow in and uh, that needs to be called to grow in. Priests need to call, or uh, bishops need to lead by word and example. Priests also need to lead their parishioners by word and example. And what I'm thinking about with the dispositions, we can, we can talk about a whole set of them, and they're very closely related to the virtues. The ones that I see are the most uh, important uh, in the liturgy are those of humility and profound reverence. 
um, a sense of dignity and bearing appropriate to this. I, I, um, and whatever we might say, you know, we don't want to point fingers at a particular parish, but let, no. let's talk in the, about this hypothetical um, praise and worship parish that's indistinguishable from an evangelical. What we can say is that they do not have the proper disposition. They really are indistinguishable from an evangelical gathering. There's something wrong with the disposition. That is why it's indistinguishable. That's right. That's right. So, but here's the thing. That, and this is, you might say, the um, amazing uh, potential for the priest is that when the priest is holy and when his holiness radiates it has a capacity to to sort of make up for a lot of other things um, now so and I, this has been my own experience i've seen it happen when it, you know even in a situation where you say the music and i'm not talking about a strong praise and worship necessarily but I, i've experienced situations where the, the priest is so given to Christ and is so much exemplifying the person of Christ by his own life and by his own approach to the liturgy, that if, even though it doesn't negate the need for music renewal, it does have the power to draw, there, there's a great power there. Yeah, but what we're saying is that it does so despite the music, not because of it. That's right. And, we'll and come so back. if the music were in harmony with that and we're clothing it, it would do so even more powerful. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. And but so this is what this is just the first of seven points, David. So. Good. Yeah. So but this you see, when is the last time you heard a priest talk about cultivating the proper disp dispositions? Maybe you've heard it more than I have. Uh, well, actually, I've only ever heard it once, and that was my pastor <laughs> at, at St. Elias, Father Sebastian, talking to me, <laughs> telling me as cantor to, to, to sort out my disposition. <laughs> but it was, he, was, he was right. So yeah. lean against the back wall, stand up, you know, listen to the. Yeah. So, yeah. So but that's the only occasion. And I was struck by it, actually, because. I, that he should give it. In fact, he was. It was the whole of the, the choir. Right. Who were moved to the front, and we got a, a, a very good talk on how we should conduct ourselves. You see, this needs to be spread. I think very much. Yeah. Interestingly, I think for me, the the strongest message I ever heard was not with words, but was it was I was uh, music director in an inner city parish in Chicago years back, and. Um, it was uh, a normal a normal mass, so to speak, but there was a whole group of, of uh, pilgrims that arrived at the church. It was the it was the Church of Saint Francis of Assisi in in the west side of Chicago's inner city, and they had relics of Saint Francis there. There's this whole group. I don't know, maybe 30, 40, 50 pilgrims. Uh, I think they're Hispanic, and they they all came in walking on their knees up the the stairs to the church and into the church, and I've rarely experienced such a sense of um, transformation of a, a liturgy from the, you might say, the power of that, that the, the disposition that they radiated, and it, it was somewhat contagious even. Mm. It had a real effect. 
Um, so again, it's, it doesn't negate the need for changing the music. And I'm, it might seem like I'm getting off topic here for a moment, but this is just, this is one of the, the things that, that everybody can work on. But, but it, what it does do is point to reasons why this, going back to this hypothetical parish, that these other things might be in place, you see. It doesn't mean because the music's awful, everything is. Um, so, which is supporting what you're saying. That um, I, I'm also, but when everything is in harmony, working together, and it's immensely powerful. So again, my experience in the Brompton already, I keep coming back to this. Again, I understood that, that there was something special about the host held aloft. Yes. Mainly because of the attitude of the people around me towards it. Yes. Um, without having any, I, 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 I didn't even know it was Catholic when I went in there. I, I didn't no. know what I was looking at. Right, and, right. But I understood that this was important because of their body language. That's the way I always describe it. What, what it is, is yeah. what you're describing. Exactly. Yes. So anyway, that's that's the first point that I have. The second okay. point I want to bring up is that, uh, and I think most priests I've worked with uh, recently, at least, are pretty much aware of this. You need to cleanse the liturgy immediately of anything that is obviously heretical, heterodox, or irreverent. Yeah, <laughs> so that's something that cannot be dealt with uh, on a gradual basis. Yeah. yeah. It's so insidious and it's so harmful. And there are hymns and, and so many hymnals that really are going in that direction. And there are things that, that, that priests sometimes do or that people sometimes do that, um, uh, that, are, that are doing that, that we have to, that we have to address. I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna give you an example here. Uh, I was sitting in this this office. There's a school next door door to me, which two years ago was was a Catholic school. It, uh, I think a middle school. They're young children. I don't come from America. I was I didn't go through the American education. Right, right. I don't know what the sort of various grades and things are. But um, so there are. I, I'm guessing about ten, eleven, or something. Most of the kids, um, and uh, I could hear their music lessons, you know, the, 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 they would have a sort of joint assembly where someone would play a piano, lead them in song. And they were singing at this supposedly Catholic school, John Lennon's Imagine. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Including Imagine There's No Religion. Imagine the, uh, and, and they would, honestly, this is, um, now the school ceased to be Catholic. Right. A year later, and it's now, there's, there's an Islamic school right to the property and, and probably you and i and many other people can sit, cite all sorts of things like that that are crazy i once went to a, a midnight mass in france where the organist as this was the christmas midnight mass the organist was playing a medley of elvis presley tunes <laughs> seriously for christmas Same now i mean that just seems so far out it's probably most of us don't, you know, experience something like that. But, you know, there's all sorts of crazy things that have gone on. And yeah, I've seen an icon of Jimi Hendrix as well. Mm -hmm. Which, <laughs> anyway, back back to the points. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so anyway, that's I, I think we have to 
this is, uh, an, these are non-negotiables as far yeah. as orthodoxy and reverence yeah. um, that need to be cleansed from the liturgy. Uh, and then the th that's the second. The third has to do with uh, team building, you might say. In other words, if a pastor is coming to a parish now, he, he might already have a music director and a team of musicians, uh, and he needs to work with them. And if they're on board with the destination we've been describing, that's, that's great. If they're not, he needs to lead them there. Or if they're not willing to go there, there's a problem there that needs to be solved. Because you need to find the right musicians who are going to be willing to work together for this, this great goal of renewal and who see the need. And if they don't see the need, they need to be open to be led to that vision, so to speak. Um, so, and this can be of course very sensitive because uh, there's lots and lots of people working in the realm of sacred music who have been educated or have been formed with this, the, the, uh, the principles of this contemporary Catholic repertoire, so to speak. And many, or if not most, might seem to think that we don't really need renewal. Or if we need renewal, it's more a question of getting better musicians. That, but as far as changing the music, they may not see that. So, but really, in order to go forward, you have to have the right people you're working with. Otherwise, it's going to be a constant, uh, a, a constant conflict. And if we can be clear in stating our principles and so forth, then we can uh, go forward. If, if there's a person who just doesn't fit, they need to understand it's not fitting. We need to go forward. Um, this can be difficult sometimes. There's not... Uh, there's not a super abundance of qualified musician, church musicians out there, but it's, it's better to have good amateurs helping you that it, whose heart is really in it, rather than having uh, so-called professionals who really don't understand uh, the needs or what, what needs to be done. So that, that's the third point. The fourth is, um, the way in which a pastor if, uh, treats his music director. And this is, if there is a professional music director, uh, I bring this point up because uh, it might not seem at first to be such a crucial point, but from long years of experience, I can tell you that this is a real, it can be a real big hindrance to this process of renewal. And that is, a parish music director needs to be seen primarily as a facilitator rather than somebody who does everything all the time. And that might seem obvious, but um, it's not obvious to a lot of people. In fact, there's been, so what do I mean? There are all sorts of people, generally speaking, in my, my experience at least, you're surrounded by all sorts of people with talent, who are musical talented and who can are eager to help. Let's say I have let's say I have a, a fine organist in the parish who's who is uh, who's able to help, or um, a cantor that is will do a good job. 
oftentimes what we see today in parishes is that if someone's uh, hired as a music director, if they don't do all these functions all the time, they feel at risk of losing their salary or being having their salary pruned down. And, and in fact, it's very destructive. Uh, it's a very um, counterproductive thing because, and I, another thing that we see today is that there, I, in different dioceses, I've seen this, that there's a movement in some places to insist that the music director be put in his 40 hours or her 40 hours each week, uh, even if it means stuffing envelopes or doing this or that. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, this whole mentality that um, a music director should be treated like anybody else. You better be there in the office all these hours. But really, uh, upon reflection, and as far as the nature of a musician and the nature of the job, generally speaking, that is really destructive, but first of all, the morale of everybody and of the, the nature, uh, it, it goes against the nature of what it means to be a musician and a music director. Now, so I could talk a lot more about this one and people might have questions about it, but the music director really does, it has a lot of work to do and it has a lot of really important work to do. Uh, but his or her job needs to be to make it happen and to, to bring in all sorts of other people to help make it happen. So it's a, it's a true team effort rather than being the one who has to be there all the time doing, or most of the time doing all the, being a functionary, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And um, it might be worth coming back to that uh, later. And so the pastor also, in this regard, re if, he if he finds a good, good music director, a good organist, or he really needs to take care of him or her as far as being aware of the, the many sacrifices they make. And be, because as, as, again, as a church musician, Yes, you've embraced this vocation, but it means being away from your family, being there every Saturday, every Sunday, every wedding, every funeral, whatever. It, it's it, when other people are are um, have time off, you are the most busy. So you're, it's this is not meant to be a complaint, but rather to help remind people the the, the great um, challenge of being a music director today. Okay. Um, I'm going to, how many, we've got seven of these. We've got three more points here. Okay, let's, let's go through these fairly quickly. And then what okay. we'll do is we'll come back in the next one and introduce them into the various examples. Okay, sounds great. Yeah, okay. Great. So um, the next one is that, and again, all of these have to do with their universal principles, their steps that everybody can take. You need, the priest needs to cultivate unity on the team. And not only in the teamwork and the norm, ways we normally think of, of make, developing a good teamwork, but also in terms of unity in the liturgy itself. So he needs to avoid the sense of the musicians are up there, the priest is down here, or they do their thing, I do my thing. No, it needs to be a unified whole in order to cultivate that kind of focus on God that the liturgy is meant to be. So um, I have a picture here of the body of Christ. So each is yeah. fulfilling his role. And when 
he or she is doing that, they are fully participating in the liturgy in that role. It, it's it's That's not right. Um, so the, the musician is worshipping um, as much as the lay person <laughs> or the Absolutely. priest. Yes. Each has his role in what is ultimately the body of Christ. I, I, That's right. That's yeah. right. And we've talked, we've touched on this a little bit before, and yeah. um, there's a lot to that. Okay, number six, and now we sort of get back to our ideal, but again, uh, there needs to be a course charted towards the ideal. And, and in order to do this, we need to strategize, plan well, so step by step, we're able to implement things in a way that is inspiring, that is resonating with people, and you might say convincing them that what we're offering is a step forward <laughs> and not simply, not merely, you might say, correct, or not merely following the rules. Those things are important, but no, this is, people need to sense that they are being led forward. And so, so a plan to go towards the ideal. And then the seventh thing, I, what I would say as well, is providing opportunities that are not outside of, outside of the main mass, let's say on Sunday, but it might be a, a Sunday night liturgy or uh, it might be a concert, but providing opportunities for parishioners to experience the, the beauty and the greatness of our traditions uh, in, in a way that, again, that resonates within them and that, that inspires them. So it could be a, you know, a fully sung mass, like the one we, we recently did here, where we invite people in, the, in, the, in an exceptional way, they get, they get sort of an immersion in something that's really great. And that they see that, that this, these experiences then help expand the vision of parishioners and everybody to, to see that there's something out there that is worthy of our, this, this great pursuit of renewal. That's, that's interesting. I, uh, again, I, just my model, if you like, of the liturgy is always formed by those, the best places that I've seen, that the picture Again, this yes. they come back to the Brompton Oratory or somewhere like St. John Cantus. And even when we're doing it, um, when I'm participating in something somewhere else, shall we say, yeah. what I have in mind is that experience. I want it to yeah. be humble to be a participation in what I have in my, my mind as the ideal, which is being suggested to be more by those grand events in yes. the picture um, i mean that in the right way so that they set out that ideal which yes um, is so there's on other occasions so even when we're singing so last night for example we had vespers where i am and we have a group of men that just get together in this place where i live yes and we set up an icon corner and we sing vespers and it's modified chant for english but what i have in mind in my imagination is that this is a participation in what I saw at the, the Brompton Oratory. Right. Because I, I know what the ideal is, and I want everything in some way to, to be connected to that, however yes. um, 
humble it might be. Right, and I think the more people in a given parish who have those kinds of experiences, like you had, yeah. the more people, and especially our, the people who are working together in the music program, that's gonna really help uh, okay. feed that fire within them yeah. to go forward. I can see that, that makes sense, and I hadn't actually thought that you can do, you, so you can put more emphasis on a few of these occasions yeah. to fire the enthusiasm of people to experience it. And then people will then see how the the plain vanilla mass, if I can call it that, <laughs> is actually trying to be a participation in this. And we're trying to raise the general standard of all of it towards that. That's right. Okay, that's great. Well, I think uh, you might wish to sort of conclude in some way, I don't know, but I think that's a good place to stop and we'll come back uh, next week. Um, that sounds very good. Okay, well, Paul Jernberg, thank you very much. Next week, what we're going to do is come back to that thriving Joel Osteen parish, Joel Osteen parish in, in the South that you mentioned. Um, but we're going to actually see how this applies in um, typical situations. So you've set out these uh, these principles and we'll discuss that in more detail next week so Paul thank you very much indeed thank you David you've been listening to the way of beauty podcast conversations on catholic faith and culture if you enjoyed this episode then please give us a five star review on iTunes this will help others to find it too also if you're interested in delving more deeply into the material that we discuss you can do a course at the Pontifex University website. That's pontifex.university.